Hi and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Mosier wrap up their discussion on Article 23 of the Augsburg Confession. In this episode, Adam, Brett, and Jason talk about matters of sexual immorality and marital intimacy. While endeavored to keep things appropriate, it may be wise to preview this episode before having your children listen to it. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow. I'm joined by Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. All right, we'll we'll uh, keep the hilarity rolling, uh, is, yeah, <laughs> or at least the awkwardness. I think we ended, yeah, I think we ended last week on probably one of the most awkward notes yeah. possible. So hilarity right. is is a strong word, uh, but Jason, you were saying something, and I think you had, I think you were making a point. We, <laughs> and afterwards, we talked a little bit, and we were talking about explain this a little bit further, and I think you did a better job explaining it after we got done about what beauty truly is and how we look mm-hmm. back at the old Testament passage we were looking at last week on Genesis one, could you clarify or not clarify, but restate a little bit about what we're talking about yeah, with beauty? All I'm talking about is rooting beauty in uh, objective reality instead of evaluative language. You know, so if God creates something and God looks at it and he sees that it's good, you know, and it's good because God made it. And so much of how we talk about beauty ends up being down the road of objectification. Mm-hmm. Only visual. Only visual and only objectification. Only, like I said, only evaluative. Right. You know, and, and, and certainly, you know, you brought up, Adam, in, that, in the course of that conversation, certainly, you know, there, you know, Isaac was attracted to Rebecca and Jacob was attracted to Rachel. And and we don't deny that that exists, but the church handles this topic theologically as if that's the only way it exists. And beauty is a matter of God's creation and order, which is what I was trying to round us back to. And, And we want to get there. Attraction is an element of God creating both man and woman in his own image, right? But that's not the only, you know, what is good and what is true and what is beautiful is rooted in God's order and creation. It's a substantive thing. It's the yes. substance of what a thing is if it's created by God. Yeah, that's and, the beautiful thing. And, and that's and, the point we talked about afterwards last week. And I think that really mm-hmm. that really makes sense. And, and beauty versus ugliness then is, is a move from order to disorder in creation. Mm-hmm. A perversion of the, of yep. the creation. Yep. Yep. All right, good. Well, yeah, thanks for that uh, added comment there, and um, that will launch us into our discussion today. We're looking at a New Testament text, and uh, we, you know, we were wrestling, and we always try to, to pick the passages that we're going to talk about, and, and we wrestled between a couple of different passages. Um, we were considering 1 Timothy 3, 2, and the discussion of the qualification of a, of a pastor, um, and uh, just thinking of that, that call there to be the husband of one wife. Yeah, the, and, and, and this is a good time. We, we haven't brought this up in a while. The whole goal mm-hmm. of having two Bible studies right. on every topic is to demonstrate that the theology of the Lutheran confessions flows out right. of what Scripture is talking about. That, right. that the, they're not two separate things. They're not you, two separate Lutheran things. over here and, a, and Bible believer over here. Yeah, and yeah. that the confessions don't replace yep. or you know take precedence over Scripture, but they're just talking to us about what Scripture is already saying. They confess Scripture. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so 
when we do these Bible studies, we want to make sure that the Bible studies we're doing are exegetically relevant to the topic at hand, that when you study them, you come out thinking, oh, now I get why the Lutherans were talking about that, why that's so important. And there are a couple of them that it's really hard to to find a specific passage to talk about, but then there's a couple that there are three or four different angles we could take on this and and still not cover it, and this was one of them. As we mentioned in the first episode in this series on Article 23, uh, one of the big areas of the church that is affected by the doctrine of Article 23 is all of the abuse scandals going on in the church. You know, Roman Mm -hmm. Catholic Church, we mentioned the Baptists, all of these things. And, And that's a matter of how pastors handle this. And so looking at the qualifications for a pastor and and the fact that pastors were married and that it's prescribed in the New Testament uh, and and how that is just one of the characteristics of of being a pastor and all those things, that we could have gone there. Mm -hmm. But then, Brett, you brought up the point that not everyone who listens to this Mm -hmm. is a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so going to the other end of things, that's where we're going to be at here in 1 Corinthians 7. Yep. Yeah, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9, and I'll go ahead and read that for us, and we'll jump into an ongoing discussion. And so I read in Jesus' name, it says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. To the husband... Uh, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not as a, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I, as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, Amen. Amen. Yep, that's all right. (laughs) You just got on a roll there. Keep reading. And even in 1 Corinthians 7, you have more... Yes. And then yep. it, it peaks again at the end of the chapter. I encourage you to read all of 1 Corinthians yeah. chapter 7. In, Absolutely. In light of this, uh, there's a lot of deep theology going on here. It probably can't be addressed in a 24-minute podcast or whatever, but this is a great passage because it's really down to the mm-hmm. specifics of what we're talking about. And in fact, in the Augsburg Confession and in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, Melanchthon cites these verses. Mm-hmm. And you should make note that when it talks about this, it's talking to everybody, just like we said, we're not yep. going just with pastors, but it certainly does apply, and it's not exclusive to pastors. I mean, not, not exclusive of pastors, I meant to right. say. Um, and, and pastors are very much included in this, a la 1 Timothy 3.2, where it says, you know, pastors are to be a man of but one wife. Um, yeah, so go ahead. Sorry. And, and I, there's there's an interesting you know idea here of of uh, like desires or, or cravings. And, and I've, I've, I've heard a handful of discussions of this text, almost like in a, I just can't help myself kind of way, which I, I'm not sure that's necessarily help, helpful or healthy. Um, but also uh, just to reckon, there's a balance between recognizing, you know, good, healthy sexual desire that God has given versus kind of just chalking up to, uh, 
I'm bound to do this no matter what. Yeah, there's law gospel implications yeah. for this. And, and the, the first, like, I'm just, I just can't help myself. That is a selfish understanding right. of yep. the purpose of marriage. That is mm-hmm. using the opposite sex to gratify your, well, what Paul says, your lack of self-control. And, and mm-hmm. the amazing thing is Paul talks about marriage in this passage in verse 8 or 9. He, he's already assuming the lack of self-control in this, right? And and if you think that you deserve a, a husband or a wife because you, you can't control yourself, that is a selfish understanding of theology right. and that in itself is sinful, right? Yep. Now, the gospel reality of this is if you find yourself prone to this attraction and prone to these desires, God has created something under which these desires are godly and good, and that is marriage. You know, and, you know, should God provide you with a spouse, then that is taken care of insofar as you remain faithful to your spouse. I, I don't think it's, it's one of those things where it works one way, but not the other logically, yeah. logically speaking, if, if a person has a desire for a sexual relationship and that desire is strong, that may be an indicator that God has called them to marriage. But just because they have that desire doesn't mean that God will automatically provide them something uh, by way of a spouse. That's, it, it doesn't go both ways. But exactly. I think that's what Paul is saying there is that, yeah, this, this desire, and there are some who lack that desire. And, and there's, we talked about it in weeks past about eunuchs, for instance, as they're described in Scripture. We have those type of individuals who, for various reasons, either lack a desire for some reason or in some way, and that's a God-given thing, and their calling is that, and that's a, the, the language that's used, and we referenced this before, too, is a gift. It's a gift of God. So both marriage and singleness are gifts, and, and it, those are indicators. That desire is an indicator, not a, not a demand, right? It, it's not a guarantee that you're going to be able to fulfill that instantly because, hey, I have this desire. Give me a wife now. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's that's why we talk about law and gospel in mm-hmm. the church. The mm-hmm. gospel promise is that God has provided a way where this is okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunate, you know, looking back at the history of that issue, you know, there, there's stories of priests that had, you know, uh, a lady friend and, uh, well, and babies, with illegitimate and children, Ill- yeah. illegitimate children, and it, it's sad because those could have been legitimate marriages and legitimate children. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and and in those situations, it's it's there's multiple abuses on abuses because you, you get the sense that the lady has no choice in this because of the power mm-hmm. that that member of the clergy had at that time in history. But then the child is completely discarded, which you know brings into the whole question the church's ethic of life in the first place, right? And we're wrestling with those issues yeah, right now with right. abortion and with yeah. the, you know church helping single mothers out and, and all of these things, and selfish theology perpetuates sin. Always, always, always. Mm-hmm. If if I'm entitled to do something because I feel a certain way and, and I have to gratify it, it it's just going to blow up in our face. That's what selfishness does. But but we would, I, again, I think the law end of this, what Paul is saying is that lust is bad. But to understand what's going on here again, because the purity culture is so bad, to understand what's going on here is to understand that in the Bible, or or at least according to the Ten Commandments, lust isn't purely sexual. 
You know, that mm-hmm. lust is the sin of coveting, mm-hmm. you know, so, right. you know. Right. Which and, is why the word concupiscence is yeah. one that almost, <laughs> you know, has historically referenced sexuality, yeah. but is really a, a lust or a, a, an over-desire, so to speak, of any kind. It's the disease of all sin, right? So in, in was it, First John 2, 18, I want to say, somewhere around there, sin is qualified into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life. And I think we've actually even done a Bible study on Recently. that. Recently. I can't remember. Uh, but you, you looked at that. If, if I look at a Ferrari... You know, candy apple red Ferrari. What is it about Ferraris and you? you... I love Ferraris. Oh, okay. Well, I, the reason I think about Ferraris is that there is a gentleman in my neighborhood who lives a block oh, around okay. the corner, and he rebuilds them. I'm almost absolutely certain you've talked about yeah, Ferraris well, before. Anyway, sorry. Go well, ahead. in the in the 80s, it's Lamborghinis, but no one owns a Lamborghini. <laughs> you know, uh, but but like I have an object lesson that the the guy six houses oh, down from me got it. literally owns a Ferrari. <laughs> and and he rebuilds them. He does the body work in his garage. It's amazing. And that's a sweet car. You know, or actually uh the the single um lady who lives a couple of houses down was was dating a gentleman who every year bought himself a brand new Corvette. And and, and we had a couple of years ago we we had a garage sale at our house and he drives up in this cobalt blue like twenty eighteen Corvette and my jaw dropped. He walks up to me and he laughs. He's like, You wanna drive it? And I squeaked just a little bit. (laughs) I said, I do want to drive it, but I cannot stop myself from hitting triple digits. So I'm going to tell you no on that. And he's like, I appreciate that. (laughs) But it's those things, you know, we can lust after that or, you know, whatever it is that our interests or passions or desires that can lust. When you start to qualify lust like that biblically, it really allows us to backtrack and look at the grotesqueness of the objectification that sexual lust does, is, is, is that you are, you are lusting after a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not just a person, but one of the biggest problems of purity culture is that churches communicate that sexual sin is the only sin that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it, it puts a improper skew on the nature of sin. You know, and, and it's to say sexual sin matters. It's really bad. It affects others. Uh, Paul goes on to talk about how adultery and sexual sin corrupts ourselves and hurts someone else. I mean, I, I think it's actually close to this chapter where he's talking about that. But th- this idea of a law and gospel application that marriage is the answer for is, is really crucial to us communicating in the church again. Yeah, good. Yeah, and so the, there's kind of a way to uh, move forward in this, and and uh, I, I just appreciated, you know, in light of the gospel here, you know, Paul says in verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. Uh, then he t- goes on to talk about the, you know, the single gift of singleness that he enjoyed, um, but then also talking about uh, marriage as a gift as well, uh, both yeah. of them side by side. And, and, you know, maybe here we want to pause and, and spend a couple minutes just reiterating the gift of singleness and, mm-hmm. and how important that is, uh, and especially to the church. You know, we, we, we hashed it out a couple weeks ago uh, about uh, it's a matter of availability and it's a matter of unique perspective and, and all of those things, you, you build value for the edification of the body of Christ. And one of the things that I've seen in my own church is where we've had 
divorcees who are coping with that in their lives, they turn around and help people who have been recently divorced. Uh, Where we've had people who have been single for their whole lives, they turn and help someone who's struggling with that in their 20s or 30s or whatever. And, And these types of unique gifts, you know, as a pastor, I come from a particular context, you know, in, in my case, I got married young. I have five kids going through all that. Uh, each individual in the congregation with their own gifts and their, their own, you know, kind of network of friends and, and, and contacts has access to people I don't have access to immediately as a pastor with the word of God, with the gospel, with the encouragement uh, that comes from all of the things the gospel delivers to us. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, good stuff to consider here. Uh, I'm just looking down in this this text as well. Um, as yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, if, as I as I'm thinking about what you just said, Jason, about singleness, I, I think of so many examples. And again, I can't go because part of it is just I don't want to embarrass somebody on on you know a podcast or whatever. But there's so many examples where I have seen people who would like to be married have that desire, have not had the opportunity to be married, and yet at the same time, with that desire to be married, have recognized that the moment in time their calling was singleness, and that they weren't going to use that singleness and viewed it only as a, you know, a vocation of searching for a husband or a wife, but as a vocation of, I have opportunities that I won't have. Mm-hmm. I think of, of some... Um, Friends going into to foreign missions, for instance, in places where uh, to do so with a spouse would have been impossible. Um, I think of ministry specifically to women that a single woman better uh, served them than a married woman would have in that moment. And I, I could go and, and list all these, but it's a very practical thing. And I think yep. what we can't as a, as a church do is negate the calling because it's a gift. If it's a gift of God, if God's giving it to us, he's called us to it. So if, if that gift of singleness is there, God has an intention for it. He's got work for us to do to love our neighbor within yeah. that. And we, yeah. we can't, we can't make church about singles club to try and, you know, match up all of the, uh, the singles. So each person can have a spouse. Isn't that what Luther did by the way? Didn't Luther do that when the nuns came along and he got Katie yeah. and everything? And he's like, well, I'll take a wife just to spite the Pope. And then he yes, finds out that marriage actually yeah. is good, right? Um, no, that was, yeah, that was an oversimplification, Jason. I, I know that. But, uh, well, and he goes on to, he calls Katie affectionately my rib, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that yeah, sort of thing. You, you, that. you grow into that. But, you know, and I want to be as generic as possible as this because I don't want, you know, people to feel uncomfortable they're listening to that and it's kind of like oh that's me he's talking about but i have seen uh in a church setting a single man who was uh single his whole life really use this as an opportunity to be an example Hmm. and and we don't emphasize that enough on the male end of these struggles is pointing people in the church that this can be done And, and i've seen it it's multiple single men where where uh faithful chastity can be done not as a prideful example, but you know, like you can do it too. And I've also seen, 
singleness be an opportunity to demonstrate repentance when sometimes that you've crossed the line in that, you know, and there's just so many opportunities for building up the body of yeah. Christ yep. uh, that are unique to specific situations right. that, that the church values. Yeah, and I mentioned I was looking down in this this chapter, verse thirty two. He says, "I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and, and so on, so on." Well, and, and with yep. children, with that too, I will bring yep. it up that you know uh, I've got five kids. My oldest child, the whole birth uh, experience was traumatic. It, it was it was it was a month of. Uh, he he was born almost a month early. He had the umbilical cord was tied in a true knot, and it was wrapped around his neck. When he was born, he came up blue as a Smurf, and then several days later, we, when we finally got him home, uh, he stopped breathing in my arms, and uh, you know all this. He's fine now. He's sixteen and a half years old. He's almost ready to get <laughs> his daughter's fine. Day, he's fine. Like, he works like at eight the feet tall now. I know, yeah, he's right. a giant of a human being. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but all that's to say is, since I had kids, yeah. I do not have the constitution to view kids in peril. Uh, so, like movies where kids get in oh, trouble, sure. or or you know, there's a couple. You know, n- not gratuitously where, where children die in movies. Mm-hmm. I just can't handle it. I have to leave the room. And, and, and that just speaks to what Paul's writing about here, that, that uh, you know, as a parent and as a spouse, your anxieties multiply because of the neighbors you have been given to love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this is not to say, well, single people, you don't have to love anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's, that's not what it's saying. It's that you have a unique mm-hmm. connection to the church. You have unique opportunities. And to apologize, the church has not valued those or, or you know, made those a priority in many cases where instead we're tongue-in-cheek trying to set up the single people in our church and just marry them off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, we're, we're getting to that point of the show where we should maybe start to... Uh, Tie up every loose end we can and and, uh, cover anything that we haven't covered. Any other uh, closing comments on this passage in 1 Corinthians 7? As we think about the the marriage of priests and and just like we've mentioned, not just for pastors or priests, but for uh, every church member, every every believer in Christ, um, precious soul, any, any closing thoughts? I think to put a bow on this, just to round it up where we started the conversation four weeks ago, purity is not about outward action. It's about a matter of the heart. And and again, uh, this whole conversation can only be had and only make sense if we remember the nature of the gospel, that it's it's not what we do that makes us holy Mm -hmm. and righteous. It's not what we do that keeps us holy and righteous. It's what Christ has done for us. and that doesn't mean what we do doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that our good works don't matter. But the gospel reorients our good works, ethical, moral, and otherwise, toward our neighbor. And that's where the value is. And so this topic, as in the previous 22 topics we've covered in the Augsburg Confession up to this point, needs that gospel bow wrapped around it, that without the context of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Mm -hmm. that we are always 
in competition with ourselves and with others for our righteousness. And instead, God delivers the righteousness of Christ to us. He applies it to us. Mm -hmm. He counts it as our own. And then he commands us to go out and love our neighbor so that all of our good works, all of our chastity, all of our purity is directed towards our neighbor and is not a selfish thing. Yeah. And and that's such a breath of fresh air in the midst of, you know, the issue they were dealing with 500 years ago and and the issues that still dealing with in in our day, uh, to have that, uh, that gospel uh, centeredness there. Yeah. It's amazing how quickly you get off base when you Mm -hmm. lose sight of the gospel and, and how you stumble through a convoluted, uh, ethical self-justification of what should just be sin and repentance and and grace and assurance of salvation and then love of neighbor and vocation. Mm-hmm. I think of the verse, and maybe this is a way to close today, mm-hmm. uh, 2 Peter uh, verse, or chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice that divine power has granted us. It's a gift. That's gospel. Through the knowledge of him who called us, to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted us his very, uh, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on the Oxford Confession. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.